Welcome to the Father Jim Willig Gospel Teachings Podcast, presented by Heart to Heart, a Catholic media ministry. Father Jim was a well-known and much-loved diocesan priest from Cincinnati, Ohio. Inspired by God's Word, for many years, Father Jim presented a weekly Bible study on the Sunday Gospels. In 2001, Father Jim went home to the Lord after a battle with cancer, but his recordings and teachings live on to inspire thousands. First, we hear from Father Jim's good friend, Jesuit priest, Father Michael Sparrow, who opens this podcast by proclaiming the gospel reading. Then, Father Jim's illuminating gospel teaching follows. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Jesus took Peter, John, and James and went up the mountain to pray. While he was praying, his face changed in appearance and his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were conversing with him, Moses and Elijah who appeared in glory and spoke of his exodus that he was going to accomplish in Jerusalem. Peter and his companions had been overcome by sleep, but becoming fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. As they were about to part from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, (laughs) it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. But he did not know what he was saying. While he was still speaking, a cloud came and cast a shadow over them. And they became frightened when they entered the cloud. Then from the cloud came a voice that said, This, this, this is my chosen, 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 son, son, son. Listen, listen, listen to him, 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 him. After the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. They fell silent and did not at that time tell anyone what they had seen. The Gospel of the Lord. You know how we need sometimes to get away in order to get it together. Sometimes we need to retreat in order to really know how to progress. Sometimes we just need a break from the hardness and busyness and craziness of life 
in order to pursue the responsibilities that we have day to day. No one understood and felt that more than Jesus, whose life was filled with tension and in the most earnest mission that called forth the very best in him. And that's what we see in today's gospel. As Jesus was very now consumed with this mission that lay before him, he felt the need probably to get away, to retreat, and to be sure that what he was about was what God wanted him to be about. And so he took this time and must have selected a place that was very near and dear to him. That place that wasn't so much a resort as a retreat. You know, that place where we can feel renewed and refreshed and rejuvenated. For Jesus and for many people in the Bible, it was the mountain. For you know, the mountain was a place where we have that higher view of life, where problems seem much smaller down in the valley where we live day to day, and where we feel a lot closer to God. The mountain throughout the Bible is a sacred site where people often receive divine revelation. It's where Moses went to Mount Sinai to receive the law. It's where Elijah went to listen to the voice of the Lord to direct him. Now, what's very valuable for us to understand, too, is that before Jesus went there, he, in the context of this gospel, he just realized that what lied before him was, in fact, his own passion and death. And just a couple of verses before this gospel, Jesus offers his first prediction of his passion. And immediately after the gospel, he offers the second prediction of the passion. So that frames this whole gospel event, which is to say he was really struggling at this point. He needed a break. He needed to get it together. He needed some higher power and some insight. And so he went on retreat. And as we hear in the gospel, he took along with him Peter, James, and John. Now, who are they? Peter, James, and John, you would know, were three of the four who were first called to follow Jesus at the Sea of Galilee. Remember, they were the ones that Jesus would have known from the very start of his ministry. And, and maybe because of that reason, he felt a special affinity and friendship with them. We know, too, that they were like an inner circle among the other disciples because they were with Jesus on other uh, significant and important moments, such as the raising of Jairus' daughter. It was just he took with him Peter, James, and John inside to experience that he probably couldn't bring everybody along. I don't know. And we know that uh, they were the special inner circle of support to Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, so that they were not only invited to share in his view of glory on the mountaintop. They were also invited to share in his agony in the Garden of Gethsemane. I can't help but think this, or at least wonder this, as Jesus would have invited Peter, James, and John. I wonder what the other nine must have felt. <laughs> like, hey, why did you leave us out? I mean, don't you have to wonder? It's half the reason, I think, when Jesus said, now don't tell anybody what happened here. Yeah. Because they'd be ticked. So why? Why was Jesus only inviting his inner circle, his 
perhaps because they were his closest companions, his most intimate friends. And when we talk about intimate friends, we don't have uh, lots. You know, you just you're going to be closer to some people, and it's those people you share the depths of your heart as well as your struggle. And that's something what Jesus was wanting to share with them. Or maybe in a way of looking at it, I wonder if Peter, James, and John don't represent those among us who make ourselves more available to the Lord and are the first ones to go to the retreats, attend the conferences, come to the scripture studies in order to be inspired. In any case, weren't they glad that they came along? Because as Jesus led them up this mountain, and by the way, tradition holds that this is a Mount Tabor, or really it's a hill. It's a thousand feet high in northern Galilee, uh, not too far from the Sea of Galilee. And it does offer a beautiful panoramic view. Some of you have been there. You look over the whole area of Nazareth and Cana and all those wonderful sites, and you can see the Sea of Galilee down on the distance. And I often think of how that is a symbol of those places and those times in our life when we have a greater view of life, when we can see things in perspective. And oftentimes retreats are like that or conferences or just getting away to pray can be. The, the question I would invite you to ask, though, is where is your mountain? Where is that place that you could be alone with the Lord? Where is that sacred site where you can join with your closest friends or family and really feel that intimacy with divinity? The time when we can have our heart recharged and our mind renewed. Where can we go for the Spirit to refresh us? Jesus knew where his mountain was and he went there despite the fact it's a long climb. And so it, it isn't a place that we easily come to. We have to make arrangements to go on retreat. We have to make special connections to go on this special event. I think God is always trying to make available to us to be spiritually renewed. In any case, uh, you could imagine the disciples wondering, I wonder why we're going up here. I hope this is worthwhile. And and what are we going to do when we get to the top? And did you bring something to drink and eat? Or, you know, all these things we ask. And, and then we get there, and then we're told Jesus is transfigured. But the important point is that this happened while he was praying. I think that's very significant, because this is what prayer ultimately offers us. When we pray, when we come into God's presence, and there are some times when even the prayer seems like such a chore. But there are other times when we feel uplifted. And those times are precious moments, aren't they? And we, in a sense, are transformed by that prayer experience. What the disciples describe here is a vision. And that's what this is. It's those stories of vision. And we could imagine this in a very physical or we could imagine this in a more spiritual way. In any case, what they saw was that Jesus was totally transformed. And there was this light that just radiated, emanated from him. The important thing here is that it wasn't a light from the outside. 
It was a light deep within. We're told his face shined like the sun. This is reminiscent, by the way, of Moses when he came down from his mountaintop experience on Mount Sinai. We're told his face was radiant, radiant. And so Jesus, in his prayer, must have experienced something so profound. It just transformed him. I'm reminded of two examples of where I catch a glimpse of what this might have been. One, you know about St. Thomas Aquinas, who was considered one of the brightest minds of our time. He lived in the Middle Ages and wrote the Summa Theologica, which is the vast volume of theology, proving the existence of God to every imaginable question under the heaven. and. As he spent his life teaching and writing and sharing these greatest insights, one day, toward the end of his life, he was celebrating Mass. And something so profound happened. And his brothers who were there with him, he was a Dominican priest. So there, as they lived in this community, which didn't celebrating, they saw something was really had transpired and transfigured in his very person. And they asked him about it later at breakfast. And he said, what I experienced there at Mass in prayer has made all that I have learned and all that I have written seem like a pile of straw. And you know that he never wrote another thing. And he died two weeks later. We would call that, I guess, the beatific vision. Some people, you know, are blessed with this uh, mystical, mystical because it's almost mysterious, and we can't describe it. It's just a total grace and insight. St. Ignatius talks about that. Once he was just journeying along, and he came upon this stream, and he stopped, and he prayed. He said, I learned more in that moment than what I could ever teach or describe to anyone the rest of my life. I'm still waiting for that moment. <clears throat> but maybe we have a small glimpse of that. Maybe there are some times, and it could be as simple as when you're home with your family and nobody's fighting. <laughs> and you say, man, this is what it should be like. Or you just feel that one of your children or grandchildren does something that makes you feel really proud. And you understand why you've done all that you've done all these years. Or maybe you're just with some friends and all of a sudden you feel such love. And you know it's greater than you could explain away by just the people who are there. It's something that's like God-given. You know those moments, we just catch glimpses of it, uh, this side of earth. The glimpses of glory. And that is, I think, what it's all about. And they're so important because I think they help us go through the rest of life. You know what I mean? We need those mountaintop highs to go back down to the valley lows and deal with life. And we live in the valley, don't we? Another example, this past week, this beautiful couple in the parish just became engaged. The young man came to me the day before and asked if I wouldn't mind, he would like me to leave the church door open Saturday night because he would like to bring his girlfriend there to propose to her in church. 
And I thought, wow, absolutely, I'll leave the church open. And I didn't see them till the next morning. But honestly, I only spoke to him on the phone, so I didn't even know who he was. Uh, but I think I picked him out of the whole congregation. Because the next morning, there was this young couple. I mean, they were bright as light. They obviously aren't married yet. <laughs> but they've got... <laughs> no, just kidding. They've got a glimpse of glory. I mean, it's like, wow. You know, and I, I want to say to them, hold on to that. Hold on to that. Because that light of love... Gosh, how, how meaningful that was, that they knew that their love came from the Lord. And they wanted to then dedicate their love and their life to the Lord and ask the Lord's blessing. I was so moved. To me, that was their Mount Tabor experience. I don't know how often we come to that in life. I don't think we are even permitted or led to that high point in life too often, at least that height of point. But I think there's foothills too, you know, and we could go. And hopefully, maybe every Sunday could be that, you know, when we come together on the Lord's Day or or when we come to these special moments to renew our love. What we are experiencing here is with the disciples is something that I think the Lord wants to offer us time to time. Part of this vision Besides seeing Jesus transformed, they're seeing what Jesus wants to offer to them. We share in that transformation. And that's why this gospel is right in the middle of the Lenten season, because this is a kind of conversion that is transformation we're praying for and striving for. Of course, it's a real hard process to get there, but this is held up as a hope to us, that what we can look forward to both here and especially hereafter. I was thinking, too, this morning as I was celebrating the Mass of Resurrection for this very faithful man who, by the way, died just two weeks after his wife. I mean, there's something there, too. They lived together 64 years and were such a faithful, beautiful couple that one of the things we reflected on is they always wanted to be together and now, again, that's fulfilled in eternity. And the beautiful thing is that I realize is this family who loved them so dearly and cared for them in their old years of declining health, they had a wonderful vision of their mother and their father in heaven. And I think, wow, I don't know what people do who don't have that kind of vision of heaven, how they deal with death. And what difference it makes to us? Because what we celebrated there was not the end of their life, but the beginning of their eternal life. And what we named was, this is a celebration of resurrection. This is what we believe is in store for all of us, and that we will be reunited with our family, our friends, our loved ones. And I could see that as I preached this vision, this is what the gospel of transfiguration is about. That our faith gives us this inner vision, this insight of a preview of coming attractions, if you will, that we too shall share in Christ's glory. And what is the glory again when we're all ultimately and completely transformed into this heavenly state that we 
all anticipate. So interesting too, we see Jesus is not alone there. I think that's interesting to me that to his right and to his left are two of the greatest saints of the Old Testament time, Moses and Elijah, which tells me something about the company of the angels and saints. You know, it's a great, great company that Jesus shares his glory with all his family. But why Moses? Why why Elijah? I've already hinted at that in a comment I made in the beginning. Moses, remember, went up that same mountain that had his most profound religious experience on Mount Sinai, where he was transformed and he heard the Lord speak to him the law that he then came down to share with his people, to call them up to that place that they came to know as the promised land, which, by the way, is where uh, Mount Tabor is even then. And, and then Elijah, in a very similar way, was going through a very difficult time. In fact, the king Ahaz was after him, trying to kill him, and he retreated to try to get his perspective and understand what God wanted. And God spoke to him in a tiny whisper. Remember that? But he experienced such a profound presence and providence of God that he went back and could face his enemies and continue to live his mission as one of the greatest prophets of Israel's history. So the fact that Moses and Elijah is there, it's how we would imagine in heaven, God is with all of our special people, you know, the great patriarchs and matriarchs of our families who've gone on before us, who have been the Lord to us, who have been a bright light to us. I mean, can't you see your family in this genealogy that have generations before us and that they're with Jesus and they're conversing with him as they perhaps pray for us? When the disciples were seeing this great vision, uh, there was a voice that spoke to them. Remember, the first it came in a cloud, and of course you have to understand these highly symbolic images of the vision. A cloud represents God's presence, the same cloud that led Israel through the desert, cloud by day as a pillar of fire by night. So the cloud represents God, and out of the cloud this voice that spoke, this is my beloved son. You remember the voice that spoke earlier at Jesus' baptism? It's almost like the Lord is confirming, encouraging his son. This is what I've always tried to tell you. I'm with you. Don't worry. It's going to be some difficult days ahead, but I'm with you. Keep your eyes on the light. What's ultimately the goal line? It's that kind of vision the Lord wants all of us to have. As we really go through difficult days, especially in difficult times, we need that guiding light. We need that understanding that somehow this all makes sense. And we struggle with that. Of course, one of the great things when Peter, James, and John are blessed to have this incredible religious experience. Remember what Peter says, oh, Lord, it's so good to be here. It's just so good to be here. Can we just set up three booths? Of course, the booths represent tents. Literally, that's what the word tabernacle means, by the way, a tent. And it's where throughout Israel's journey through the desert, they carried the ark, which is a sign of God's presence, in the tent of the Lord. 
So Peter was saying, man, this is so good. I don't want to go home. I don't want to leave here. You felt that when you've been on retreat and you say, I don't want to go back to work tomorrow. I don't, I'm not ready to uh, meet everyone and all the, the things I have to face yet. And Jesus almost smiles and said, I don't think so. You know that these mountaintop experiences are for the purpose of going back down to the valley. I can remember this most powerful sermon I heard on tape of Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King when he was awarded the Nobel Peace Prize. And during the most difficult struggle, he was called to Norway to receive this award that was for him, he said, I've gone to the mountaintop. And it was there, I think, he began to look over and see the potential of this powerful civil rights movement. And he thanked the men for this opportunity. He said, you know, I'd love to stay here forever, but I know I've got work down in the valley. I must go back to the South, where our people still do not have the right to vote. I must go back to our country, where still there's such racial bigotry. I must go back. And so it was the mountain revelation and vision that gave him the inspiration and motivation to go on ahead with that hard march that led to his death. And this is what we see with Jesus. I can tell you, I had one experience I know was, for me, just a quick moment of grace and glory. It was when I was asked to speak at the Answer the Call. And at the end of the talk, I looked all around the this immense gathering of 10,000 and more men, and I could just feel the Lord present. And right then, I invited the men, will you answer Christ's call to give your life to him? If you would, then stand and open your hands and your hearts and give everything you are and everything you can be to Christ. Will you answer the call? And the men stood up, and it gave me chills, just chills. And I looked up at the huge marquee board. It read, answer the call in bright lights, and praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. That, for me, was a mountaintop high. In that moment, I realized this is my truest vocation just to lead men to Jesus, to give their lives to the Lord who gives his life to us. And that has led me to, you know, in small, humble, simple, day-to-day ways to go back. And, you know, I live in the valley now, the Valley of Reading. And I often think it's a very simple, humble, but beautiful place where we live out that same call, that same call. But sometimes, you know, we're, we're really led, I think, to high points to lead us through, especially the low points of life, if that makes sense. So what are those points for you? And how are we led there? It's so important we have a vision of what Christ wants to do for us. Thank you for listening to Father Jim's Gospel Teaching. We hope you have been inspired and will subscribe to this weekly podcast and share it with your family and friends. The mission of Heart to Heart is to proclaim the good news of God's Son, Jesus, to the entire world. For more inspirational teachings by Father Jim and Father Michael, visit our website, 
www.htoh.us. May God bless your heart and the hearts of all your loved ones.